Hi, I'm Kara Kilmer. I play Sylvie Brennan on Chicago Fire, and you are listening to Minas Amolis. gonna be all sunshine and roses but i can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride hey shyhards welcome to episode 131 of meet us at molly's today we are gonna cover episodes 13 I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm totally got thrown off there. Um, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Okay. Today we're going to cover episodes 13. So Med 513, Fire 813, and PD 713. As always, I'm one of your hosts. My name's Gina. I'm joined by Bryna. Hello, everybody. And we are just so full of surprises this week. So you heard from us on Wednesday with Marina. And we've got another interview in store for you today because we just love to talk to everybody. And they're <laughs> willing to talk to us. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, That's really the more important part, Gina, is that they're willing to talk to us. We haven't scared them off. How? I don't know. But somehow they keep coming <laughs> back. So uh, we've got an interview with Chicago Med's Nate Santana at the end of this episode. He plays Dr. Lanick on Chicago Med, and he was so much fun to talk to. Oh, Nate's the best. He is. He is. I, I mean, it's cool to see. It's cool when you get to know these actors outside of their characters, because, I mean, Lanick is kind of a dick sometimes, but Nate is like the furthest thing from Lanick. Yeah, literally the furthest thing. He's so nice. So cool. So definitely stick around for that. So uh, before we get started, as always, we're going to start with the news. We've got a little bit. So we've got the first bit from Matt's Inside Line. And Matt is TV Line, right? Yes. If we yeah, if we don't write it down, I always forget. I'm like, TV... Eh? <laughs> but he had a little bit here about the crossover. And this is the Fire PD crossover that's going down on the 26th of February. So Matt basically says, you know, the return of Burgess's ex, Roman, during the crossover is sure to get a reaction out of Bruzik. And they got a quote from Patty and he just says, I doubt that he's going to like it very much. Roman's trying to protect his sister and therefore he's playing things in a very subversive way. He goes to the fire department, goes to the fire department Acts like he's in touch with us, which he's not. And he goes about things in a bit of a seedy, backhanded way, which doesn't really get us off. That's a very good start. So Patty said, I don't know how they're going to write it, but I would gather that there would be some tension there. So it really sounds like Roman is just like not missing a beat. He's just picking up right where he left off. It's so funny. I can hear Patty saying this quote. Like, it's just, I don't know something about it. I can just hear Patty saying this. But yeah, it. I'm very curious to see how this goes down. Like, I'm really excited for this crossover. Yeah, same. I'm kind of comforted, actually, knowing that Roman's just going to be up to his old antics. He's not going to try and, like, I mean, he's going to try and pull bullshit and do dumb stuff, but, like, not to the point that it's going to, like, hurt our people. Yeah. No, I just, I'm very intrigued. And, like, the fact that he acts like he's in touch with the intelligence unit and isn't. Like, hmm. I just, hmm. I know. I know. Just... Okay, you're back. We get it. Just don't break anything. When are you leaving? Okay, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, Kay thanks. Bye. But for like for real this time. Bye. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so there was also a bit in here about Casey, and the question said, "Will Chicago Fire's Casey ever realize his dream of becoming a father?" Uh, a fan named Sarah asked this question, and she said, "We've been waiting since the pilot, and we're now in season eight. So the answer there said, according to Jesse Spencer, Casey still very much wants to be a family man. He always wanted kids and then he got one and he lost it. And then Dawson lost one. So 
the mis- are they talking about Louis and the miscarriage? Both. Okay. Maybe I I would assume if not both then the miscarriage. I but I don't know. So he said that'll happen. I hope it does. I think he deserves it at this point. Someone just give him a baby. Then he left and he busted out a wild idea and said, maybe Brett will get pregnant. Shocker. But then she couldn't work. So how's that going to work? Listen, Spencer, we can answer that question and you don't want us to answer it tonight. (laughs) Yeah, I just think it's ironic that we got that question answered at this time before the PD episode. It's just timing, man. Right. He totally knows what he's doing, too, saying, like, maybe Brett will get pregnant. Okay, yeah, pull the pin on that grenade and just launch it. Why don't you? Right. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. Exactly. Exactly. I think he's just kind of, like, enjoying riling up the fans and being like, ooh, let me say the exact opposite of what I'm supposed to say. Just watch the fireworks. Right. Well, and it's so funny because fans have been out there, like, comparing what he said about Brett in one interview to what he said about Brett in another interview. And they're, like, so contradictory. Like, he's doing this just to play with us. Yeah. Exactly. He's taking a page out of the Derek Haas handbook and is becoming a troller. Like, he's just trolling. He's just out here trolling all of us. If Derek's not careful, he's going to, Spencer's going to become more of a troll than Derek is. Right. The only way he wouldn't be, he couldn't pass Derek is if he didn't, because he doesn't do Twitter Q&As. True story. That is true. Man. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's got to, like, tell Spencer to get it together. But really, though. Yeah, I'm actually kind of enjoying it, though. I think at this point, yeah, he, he's doing it to, you know, rile us up, but also maybe keep himself amused. And I'm like, hey, whatever you got to do, dude. Right. If you got to get through this press somehow, go for it. Yep. Go, go for, for it. it. Go for it. So we also got episode descriptions for episodes 14. These are the episodes that are airing next week on February 12th. So we'll start off with Med. Uh, Chicago Med Season 5, Episode 14 is entitled It May Not Be Forever. Brenda, will you take us through this one? Yes. So it says, Dr. Manning and Dr. Marcel disagree over an abusive husband. Dr. Halstead struggles with ethics and his decision to work at the safe injection site. And Dr. Charles and Elsa reveal a misdiagnosis that may change a family's life. So a normal Wednesday. Yeah. Although we're, I mean, I'll save this for med, but like, we're really going here with the Manning and Marcel stuff. Like, we're really going here. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's odd. Yeah, we'll save it. We'll we'll save it. But we're apparently really going here. Yeah, yeah. So Chicago Fire season eight, episode 14 is entitled Shut It Down. A series of mysterious gas leaks has members of Firehouse 51 puzzled and spread thin. Brett is conflicted when her birth mother gets serious about tracking her down Severide misunderstands his role as Cruz's best man, and Mouch bites off more than he can chew. Sounds like a solid episode. What, what, what about being best man is Severide misunderstanding? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> lastly, PD. Brian, will you take us through PD? Yeah, so PD714 is called Center Mass, um, and the description reads, A homeless man's murder leads intelligence to a criminal who has evaded capture for years. Rojas has a troubling experience with a young, mentally ill man. It's a Rojas episode. It's about time. It is about time. I know. Hashtag blessed. 
Right. She came in in episode two, and we haven't gotten a Rojas episode since. It's long overdue. Long overdue. And I'm, I'm really excited, excited to learn more about her. Like, tell, tell me more. It's like the line from Greece. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So last bit of news, Bryna, I'm going to let you take this away because this is your area. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Guys, I know this will not mean anything to anyone else, really, but I have to share. LaRoyce Hawkins is going to be in the NBA All-Star Weekend Celebrity Game next weekend. And I, I have no words. I, I'm so excited. So they, so do they do a celebrity game every year? Yes. Yeah, so they do a celebrity game every year. All-Star Weekend is three nights. Friday night is always, like, celebrity game and then rookie sophomore game. Um, and then, like, Saturday night's, like, three-point slam dunk and, oh, skills. And then, like, Sunday night's the game. But they always do a celebrity game, and I usually don't watch because it's at 7 p.m. And so I'm usually like at Shabbat dinner or something else, like with friends. Like I usually don't watch. Hell yeah, I'm watching this year. Like I, I saw that, and I like had to do a double take. I was like, wait a second. I was like, what? But it makes sense because it's in Chicago, so like makes sense. But like I was like, is anyone else from the Chicago shows on this? Like I need to, but I'm really excited. Oh my god, I'd pay good money to see anybody from the cast playing a basketball game. I'm really excited. I have a feeling the Royce can ball, but I don't know. I'm willing to bet that he can. Right, but yeah. I really had to do a double take because I was like, is anyone else from one Chicago in here? Because like they definitely got some like Chicago based people mm-hmm. for sure, but it's not all Chicago based. But who else I'm is really playing? Excited. Um, I have to pull it back up, but it's like Chance the rapper and Common are like the captains. Um, but then there's like a couple retired NBA players, some WNBA players are in there. Um, Kane Brown, who's a country singer, Quavo. I think I know uh, who that um, is. From Migos. Um, who else? Some other actors that I can't remember off the top of my head. Jose Andres, who's the celebrity chef from DC, or who's based out of DC. Um, yeah, it's a good. I'm really excited, but Lori's. Yeah. Number one. I, I recognize Chance the Rapper. I recognize Common and LaRoyce. And everybody else, I'm like, okay, uh-huh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were some names I was like, I don't know who this is, but sure, we'll go with it. I'm pretty um, sure but- I learned who Chance the Rapper was on the podcast, actually. <sighs> Fave. Oh, Chance the Rapper's brother, who's also like a musician, he's playing. Yeah. Got it. Uh, but yeah, I love Chance the Rapper. But I love LaRoyce, and I was just... I like saw that on the way home yesterday and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I won't be able to I watch. Like I'll be traveling out of town, but I fully expect live updates from you. Oh heck yeah. I might even live tweet it from the podcast account. Please Just, do. Like, Please do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really can't like NBA and Chicago PD, like my world could not collide anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they really can't. That's like that time John Seda took a picture with Jake Dalton. Jake Dalton was uh, on the U.S. Olympic team for men's gymnastics in 2008, 2012, for sure. And John Seda took a picture with him once, and I thought my head was just going to, like, burst. Or, like, a few weeks ago when John Seda posted the picture with NSYNC, and you were like, what the heck? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, the picture with NSYNC. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that about blew my mind because I mean you know you know how your social media feed is supposed to look and when you see things you're just like oh that's normal that's normal and I was like oh there's John there's NSYNC and I was like I'm sorry wait what (laughs) 
let's do a rewind. Yeah, let's please. rewind this. Why why is John like the fourth member of NSYNC? Like, where'd Lance go? What's happening? <laughs> but no, I just, yeah, I saw that, like I said, my world's collided. So I needed to share it with somebody. So I love it. I love podcast. it. Yeah. And now if you didn't know, you know that LaRoyce is going to be playing in that game. So go watch. 7 p.m. ESPN. Watch. 7 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. Okay. Eastern. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us are a couple hours behind, Bryna. So, you know, time zones. So (laughs) that's about all we've got for the news. You guys know the drill, though. If you see anything, send it to us. You guys are so good about that. And we so greatly appreciate it because literally there's only two of us and it's like two of us versus the Internet. So we don't always see things. And you guys come in absolutely clutch when you send us things. So we really appreciate that. And please keep that up. Mm -hmm. So we're going to move into the episodes now. And as always, we're going to start with Med. This was a solid episode of Med. It was. It was a solid episode. Yeah, it was just it was just straight up solid. Yeah, I mean, it's better. Yeah, yeah, better than being a terrible episode. So (laughs) solid is good. So I think this this a story that we're dealing with with the two kids, I think this was this especially like carried the episode. I think this and the Dr. Marcel story both were like super strong. Yeah, and I really liked this ace, the two kids storyline, just because, too, I think it was a different look on mental health than they usually give. They usually give, like, the psychiatry and, like, okay, something's medically wrong with, you know, whatever, and so there has to be an adjustment in medicine or whatever. You know, typically that kind of stuff. But, like, this was just such a different take on mental health than they usually give us, so I really enjoyed it. Big time, and it's an area of mental health that – I I didn't know was an issue until this episode. So they did a really good job of shining a light on a topic that doesn't get a lot of attention. Yeah, that ending I didn't know was a thing, but we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll get there. So so we start off with Dr. Charles and Ethan in April, and this was the A story that we're talking to or talking about. And so we start off, Ethan's got babies on the brain because, I mean, Ethan – you know yeah when doesn't he i know um yeah so he basically like this kid this random kid just like waves to him in the waiting room and he's just like hi it's like super awkward he's not as good with kids as severide or jay or insert other character name here no but he will get there he'll be a great dad yeah yeah and so he rolls in all smiley and april's just like uh you haven't been this happy since navy beat army and ethan just goes just thinking about being a dad Okay. Love it. All right. Cool. So April watches as Ethan and Marcel have a little exchange. They talk about the NBA. Did your head explode? I died again. And also ironic because that the, the Pelicans that they were talking about play the Bulls tonight. Oh. And so that's what they were talking about. How ironic. Yeah. So tonight being Thursday, you know, we record a night early. Yeah. So um, also, yeah. I think that disproves my theory that they were going to make Marcel be from Texas because he brings up New Orleans twice in this scene. But how does that have to do anything with him being from Texas? He's clearly from Louisiana. I, I remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about how we were going to get more information and I was like, he's totally from Texas. Yeah, but he's from Louisiana. Yeah, it means I was wrong. Uh, yeah, I, I was like, I gotcha, I gotcha, I yeah, gotcha. It means I was wrong. I was like, what? Yes. Yeah. So she watches Ethan and Marcel schmooze, and she looks at Maggie, and she's like, am I a horrible person? And I mean, and this, like, there's a little beat before Maggie responds, and in that beat, I'm like, yes, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and Maggie's like, no, you're human. I, 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 I mean, mean, yes, but like, 
I just... You're human, but man, are you digging yourself a hole. Right? A big hole. And, like, the thing that I think bothers me the most about it is, like, she's just kind of letting these feelings, in quotes, feelings for Marcel linger. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's not really doing anything to figure out whether she actually likes him or not. She just kind of, every time she sees him, she just glazes longingly at him. And it's just like, you're not doing yourself any favors. You're certainly not doing Ethan or Marcel any favors. Like, you're messing all this stuff up. Big time. And the more time that goes by, the worse the fallout's going to be. I mean, Ethan's going right. to feel, like, almost insulted that, you know, she didn't, tell him right from the get-go and the longer this goes the more he's gonna be like you waited this long to tell me right it's yeah it's it's rude is what it is right again it's not gonna be the kiss itself that breaks him up it's gonna be the lie yep yeah so yes she is human but what she's doing is not okay yep no nope so they they get the call that comes in. And so this uh, there's two parents. They bring in their two kids. And so there's the older kid, Jamie, and the younger kid, Dylan. And so the father choked out Jamie because Jamie was beating up on Dylan, like violently so. And so that moment in the sneak peek when Dr. Choi is like, what happened? And the father just goes, I choked him out. And both heads just turn. I was like, oh, boy. Like, oh, boy, you better have a good response for this one yeah i was like when he said that and then it like fades and goes to commercial or whatever i was like okay that's a new one mm-hmm. i was like i don't know if we've heard that one yet but at least it wasn't yeah. natalie in the room and it was Choi in april oh my god that would have been terrible natalie- i think if natalie had gotten this case her head would have exploded yeah <laughs> yeah would have been bad so the parents are just absolutely heartbroken and hearing the dad recant this to Dr. Charles, it's like disturbing because, I mean, he basically says that, you know, the the younger brother or the older brother, he or no, I'm sorry, the younger brother stole the iPad from the older brother and the older brother just was like violently beating on him, like to the point that he said he's like, you know, I could hear his like his fist like breaking like his bones, which is like, oh, my God. Um and the parents are just absolutely heartbroken because they adopted both kids, but Jamie's been acting out for a while. And he's seen a ton of psychiatrists before. He's been on a ton of meds, like an obscene amount of meds. And so Dr. Charles suggests admitting him for a five-day hold to get, you know, a real read on the situation. And so we're talking later on between Jamie and Dr. Charles. They're, you know, they're talking and they're bonding or whatever. And this kid is like, Jamie's like, he's remorseful. I mean, he, you know... When he realizes what's going on, he's like, I didn't mean to. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You know, I feel bad. But they start talking about what makes Jamie angry. And Jamie snaps and he starts beating up on Dr. Charles. And so Dr. Charles is like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, this is odd. And so Dr. Charles recommends a residential facility based on everything he's seen. But insurance won't cover it because does insurance ever cover anything on the show? No. No. Because insurance is the worst. Yes. Yes. And so Dr. Charles comes up with, like, the most gut-wrenching plan. And so it's called a psychiatric lockout. And I looked this up, and the thing I found was specific to Illinois. So if the parents give up their parental rights to Jamie, then the state has to cover his stay at the residential facility because he'd be a ward of the state. So essentially, they have to surrender their child the way someone would surrender a dog to an animal shelter. It's so fucked up. 
That is so fucked up and so disturbing. Right. One, the thing that confused me, and maybe I'm just overthinking this, but, like, how do you know, like, they were, because Dr. Charles was talking about how, like, oh, you know, like, we'll make sure you'll be able to see him and that, like, you know, you guys essentially will get him back once he's all, you know, gone through this treatment and whatever. But, like, that's in some ways not okay either. Like, it's kind of manipulation of the kid and, like, emotional, like, I don't know, like, it just seems so wrong. Yeah, it does seem really wrong. And I feel like later on down the road, if he if he gets better when he's older, I mean, he's just going to think back on that as, like, the time that his parents just, like, left him. Abandoned him. Yeah. Right. Like, how is that not okay either? Um, I mean, I get why they did it. And I understand that, like, you know, they loved him. And so, like, that was what was best for him. But it's also just so fucked up that that's a loophole that, like, okay, yeah, the state then has to cover it. Whereas, like, the state, he has Medicaid. They said, you know, because he had the private insurance and the Medicaid, and the Medicaid wouldn't cover it either. Mm-hmm. But, like, so the Medicaid won't cover it. But, like, you sign some papers and you're not his parents anymore, and then the state will cover it. That's just... Mm, it, it, mm. I, I, yeah, and I mean, I, I think the I think the real asshole in this situation is the healthcare industry. I mean, yeah. Dr. Charles is simply trying to get this kid the help that he needs. You know. Right. And right. And I like I said, and I agree ultimately with the parents decision, because like, again, they love their child. They want to do what's best for him and get him the help he needs. But it's just so frustrating that like there are loopholes in the healthcare system like this and that like he can't stay with his family who has insurance, both private and Medicaid, and none of that will cover it. But yet he's not with his family anymore. And then he can get the thing. But it's essentially the same insurance. He just isn't own. He's he's a ward of the state versus like being his parents' kids. It just it, it bothers me. I and hate like, this. And the just... the parents have like no parental rights over the kids, so they have no say in his medical coverage going forward. Right. Or, or if something were to happen to him at the treatment facility, like they're not going to want to be the ones to get the first call. Whoever his you know caseworker would be. It's just. It, it's so fucked up. It's fucked. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's a testament as to how broken the system is because there wouldn't be loopholes like this if the system wasn't the way it was. Right. Yeah. No, it's the system is terrible. And I we mean, all know it, but it can't change. Right. Right. Because people. Because people. And it's just, yeah, it's that's that's a whole other discussion. Podcast. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> It's a whole other podcast. <laughs> you know how Pod Save America has like Pod Save the World? We would just be yeah. like Pod Save at Molly's. That's like where we discuss world <laughs> issues. <laughs> right. Real world issues and how they are influencing the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we did see a lot of tweets afterwards where a lot of people said that, you know, this is not accurate. This is disturbing and ridiculous. But it is a real concept based on the information I found. And the, the first thing that popped up when I searched it was specific to Illinois. And so, I mean, I, that's disturbing. And so I'm hoping that that's something that only happens in a very, very small percentage of cases. Yeah, I will say, though, I think that's honestly the most heartbroken I've ever been watching Med. Like that scene where they're saying goodbye to him. Like I was full on crying and I don't know if I've ever cried at Med. The, the yeah the the scene where they went in and were like okay we have to leave you with the doctors and he was like no I'll be better I'll be better I like 
April was crying yeah. and I was like, I feel you, girl. Right. When I wonder, too, and I mean, I guess we'll find out, but like, because you can even see the look on their faces as they're wheeling Dylan out to the car at the very end of the episode. Like, you can tell, like, I mean, they're obviously trying to be parents right now. You can tell that's going to affect them moving forward. And I would be curious. To, I'm curious to see, like, how it does. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the other thing, too, is I feel like they, the parents made the decision really quickly. But I think it's also because they I think they knew that Dr. Charles was right and that, you know, they doing yeah. this was an act of love because it was the way they were going to get their son the help he needed. Right. And, it, and I don't see it as anything but an act of love. But, yeah, it just broke my heart. Yeah, it, it was it was heart wrenching and, and difficult and at the end of the episode, uh, Goodwin and Dr. Charles have a moment. And I like how Goodwin just straight up goes, today sucked. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yep. Yep. You're, yeah. Speaking but, the truth. But I mean, Dr. Charles sums it up and he's like, you know, there's just not, there, there's not enough resources when it comes to child psychiatry, which again, I mean, that's an area that they're shining a light on a really important topic. So good for them. Mm-hmm. So, ooh, yikes. So, but yeah, um, that's what we got for Dr. Charles and April and Ethan. You know, the longer we go, April, the worse it's going to get. So tell your boy what happened because do it. So next up, we've got Natalie. And Natalie is just same story, different day, right? Pretty much. What about how she, like everything with this case was fine and the mom was like a super cool patient even and Natalie was still trying to find issues? Yeah, because that Manning ESP, I'm just saying. That Manning ESP, oh my god. Okay, this was so awkward. Like, this was just all, all of this was awkward. So Natalie's been going on dates, and yet nobody has made it to the second date. Okay, so can we just also talk about how she, like, is sort of fearless when it comes to dating? Because, I mean, the whole thing with Will ended horribly, and then Philip turned out to be a raging psychopath, and she's already dating again, not thinking, like, hey, I should probably take a breather because men are effing psycho. That's Natalie for you. Damn. Damn. The song that comes to mind is from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, when she's like, let's generalize about men. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Men out there, you're not all bad, we know. Just Natalie's an interesting one. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, she's going on dates yet. Nobody's made Nobody's making it to the second date. And like the peanut gallery over in the corner of the ED, Marcel pipes up and he's just like awkwardly flirting with her from across the room. Like it's weird. Yeah. They like can't stop flirting. <laughs> it's not cute. It's just so awkward, but they can't stop flirting. No. It's like, what? No. Huh? And, like, it's very clear that Marcel was not part of that conversation. It's not something where he could just, like, join the circle. Like, he was on the other side of the room. Right. He was way over there. No. It's weird. <laughs> not here for it. So Natalie meets a mom and her son, and the son won't stop crying, and he keeps getting diagnosed with colic, like, over and over again. So the initial labs are clean. You know, he has a mild bowel distension. So, you know, they're going to do an endoscopy. The mom is super chill and she just wants to be there. And she's just like, yeah, I'll watch. It's cool. And Natalie's like, no, but like, this is really distressing. She's like, eh, it's cool. She's like, no, but this is really distressing. 
And the mom is just like, well, whatever. And so at that point, that's when she goes to Maggie and she, or no, is it Doris? Who does she, she goes to somebody. She's like, what's the read on? Oh, Doris. It's Doris. Yeah. Yeah. She goes to Doris and Doris is like, dude, I think the mom's pretty cool. Like she's super chill. And Natalie's like, well, but, and then like, here we go from halfway across the room again with Marcel. And he's like, there's that ESP again. <laughs> okay. I will say though, Marcel's comment about the man in ESP it's really funny because, like, we always say that Marcel has, like, a read on this hospital as, like, a new person, like, any other. Like, he's just got a great read on everybody. He just tells it like it is. Like, that was so true. And an ESP. It was. And there was major subtext there when he said, like, there's that ESP again. The subtext was, like, you're full of shit. <laughs> so I enjoyed that. I was like, thank yeah. you. Thank you, Marcel. Although I will say, not that I'm siding with Matt natalie on much else today but like i also thought it was a little weird that she wanted to be there while her baby was getting an endoscopy i mean i think she probably just didn't realize like what that meant well no but natalie explained she's like yeah he goes under generally in a seat you know like all this. she's like yeah no sure i don't know to me i thought that part was a little weird but then natalie kept you know trying to make something else as we go on and i don't agree with that but i probably just watch too many medical shows and i'm like that doesn't phase me well it doesn't necessarily the endoscopy part doesn't phase me because of course it's such a regular endoscopy i don't know i thought it was weird that she wanted to watch i wouldn't have wanted to watch my kid but that's just me i don't know so the mom mentions that she had a scope on her stomach and she forgot to or a scrape and she forgot to change the bandage so natalie offers to just have a nurse like change it for her or whatever and all the baby's tests come back normal. So Natalie's like, okay, well, she's got to be doing something for attention then. Natalie, like, can you not just, like, take something for what it is? Like, yeah, she's like, yeah, you know, this mom, she's got an air about her, this nonchalance that screams, yeah, my baby's in the ED, but it's just another day. It, Natalie, you can't judge people like that. You're a doctor. You can't judge people like that. But would she be Natalie if she didn't judge people like that? No. Also, that yeah my baby's in the ed but it's just another day that is like the new med tagline <laughs> yeah yeah yep chicago med you could lose your license <laughs> <laughs> we still need to make t-shirts we do we do so natalie looks at the mom's spot on her stomach and as it turns out she has a fistula and didn't even realize it okay that, that fistulas are disgusting like yeah that's gross, gross. So it's right, your intestines are coming out of you and you don't even realize it. Like what? Yeah. Your intestine basically like forges a tunnel from like it to like through to your skin. It, that's gross. So gross. Like I. Ugh. Yeah. So yeah. So she has a fistula. Didn't even realize it. And so Natalie's like, okay, well, I want to run the same test that I ran on the baby because I think you guys might have the same thing. So it turns out they both have Crohn's disease. And the mom is just like okay well i mean that's odd so crohn's flare-ups are like absolutely excruciating but she doesn't feel a thing and so natalie does one more test to see why she's not feeling anything and it turns out that the mom has a a rare micro deletion that affects her insensitivity to pain so basically she has like an extremely high pain tolerance extremely high and I can't help but laugh at the way this resolves itself because, of course, Natalie would make her feel bad about her extremely high tolerance to pain. Of course. Right. Also, what is a micro deletion? I meant to look that up. I guess it's just like when you don't have a certain gene or whatever, because she was talking about how, like, we all have this gene and you don't. 
Um, I'm assuming that's what that means. I guess so. Yeah. Just where a gene just up and like doesn't happen. Exist. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. But then when the mom is just like, oh, my God, I've probably been hurting him. Like his baths are probably too hot. This or the other. I'm like, oh, only Natalie could evoke this reaction out of someone. <sighs> only Natalie. Only Natalie. Yep. I will say I'm getting a little tired of how she's with the kids every single week. Yeah. Or at least if she's not with a kid, she's with the parent of a kid who did something. Ter- you know, it's always kid related. I get that her specialty is peds. But, I mean, Choi's specialty is infectious diseases. You don't see him working with that every week. Yeah, but I think it's different. Because, what, isn't he... Chief and Natalie? Well, and also, Natalie isn't specialized... She's specializing in, like, pediatrics. Isn't Ethan, like, emergency, like, medicine and then infectious? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. And I, I don't know. What is Will's specialty then, ED? Like emergency medicine? Being a pain in the ass? <laughs> I feel like we need to like chart all this out. Like what are all these everyone's specialties? I know because Marcel is trauma, right? He's got to be. Right. And Lanik is trauma, ED? Maybe. He's the new head of the ED, so I would assume then emergency medicine. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we just need to make a chart of, like, everyone's, what year they are, because, like, that's also really confusing. Like, what year they actually are, and then, like, what their specialties are. Yeah. I was talking to somebody on Twitter during the live tweet on Wednesday about, um, because we we found out in, during PD where where in Chicago Burgess is from, and um, I remember I had we mentioned did. yeah yeah she's from St Charles, um, and I had mentioned I was like I kind of want to like take a map of Chicago and start mapping out where all the PD people are from just because, but maybe we'll have to we'll have to do that alongside with the med characters and you know what's their specialty what year are they, yeah for science. For science, of For course. Science, yes, but I mean, yeah, I'm just I'm getting a little sick of seeing Natalie with the kids because every week it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I think it'd be different, too, if we were seeing patients with like very different diagnoses or like problems or whatever. Like, OK, fine. But like, it's literally the same case every week in some different form. Let's challenge her. I mean, give her, you know, not necessarily a peds case that's going to stump her, but give her something where, you know, she has to, like, fill in on a trauma or something. Like, let's challenge her. Let's see her, uh, let's see her manage her soapbox with her uh, medical skills. But if she's in, okay, Natalie's in attending now, right? She's not in, like, her residency, the whatever thing she was in? I think she's in attending. So then she probably only needs to work with peds cases. Oh, like if she's true. truly specializing in peds and she's not like a resident anymore. I don't know. I don't know how it all works. And I feel like I have a better, I feel like I'm comparing what I know based off like the gray system. And that's obviously a different show. So like, I don't know if that's actually true or not. We got to get you watching scrubs now. I know I, it won't happen though. It needs to happen. Oh my goodness. I don't like comedies. I don't really gravitate towards comedies. I don't usually either, but I'm currently watching a Canadian comedy about the most random stuff in the world, and it's hilarious. I know. I was, yeah, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, if you are wondering what we're talking about, ATX Festival announced this week that they'll be having a Scrubs reunion 
which is such a good show. And Bryna does not know it and she's not familiar with it. And I love it. But we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I only recognized that. I was like, ooh, John McKinnon. I was like, oh, Kelton. Kelton. <laughs> I was like, yeah. That's right. That's right. Kelton will be at ATX Festival. I didn't even put two and two together. I rec- That was the first thing I saw. I was like, oh, is Kelton coming? Okay, great. Yeah, so that's a trip. Yeah. But um, yeah, so elsewhere, you know, when he's not flirting and being awkward with Natalie, we've also got Marcel. So, mm-hmm. Bryna, will you take us through Crockett and what he's up to? Yeah, there's really not, like, a ton about the Marcel storyline. There was, like, a lot happening this week. Yeah. But basically, Marcel starts working on a girl who was in a car wreck, and, you know, she's in bad shape, so she goes straight into the OR. And in surgery, she won't stop bleeding for a while, but then Marcel thinks he gets things under control, like her pelvis is dry and contained, but yet she's still bleeding somewhere, so they can't figure it out. She starts crashing and ultimately ends up dying because like they can't figure out where that other bleed was despite the fact that where they had open was like fine she wasn't bleeding from there anymore so marcel being marcel of course takes this to heart because he is now like our most emotional doctor (laughs) i'm okay with it though yeah i know i'm okay with it but like all of a sudden it's like marcel shot up straight up there as like the one that shows the most emotion And so he takes this to heart. And so he starts searching through the patient's dead body to figure out, like, what went wrong. Because that's totally normal. See, if Connor does this, I'm face palming. Like, Connor, like, stop it. But with Marcel, I was like, good for you. Keep looking. Like, you keep trying. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, I was just sitting there. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, what? Like, because you could see, too, like, the lifeless, like, limbs Mm -hmm. i was just like what are you doing like things happen but as it turns out there was a bullet in the bar in the body that marcel didn't know was there and so that was what caused her to die was because she was bleeding from where she got shot and so as it turns out she got shot because somewhere somewhere someone in the city fired a gun into the air and basically when the bullet came down it struck the girl and that's how she got shot, which is insane. That's just... Okay, let, let's run down the list of lessons that we've learned from these shows one more time, okay? Number one, <laughs> do not put your feet on the dash. Number one. Number right. two, number two, do not do your eyeliner while you're in the car. Right. Okay? Um, number three, always listen to your first responders. And <laughs> number four, do not, for fuck's sake, fire a gun into the air. <laughs> no. What goes up literally must come down. And I say that as somebody who got a C in physics, but even I know that. So, like, what comes up must come down. Yeah. And and, I don't know. Like, I feel like part of me wanted to know more. Like, I wanted to see them go after the guy because I just had so many questions about how that happened. But then it was, like, the end of the episode. And I was like, oh. Okay. Cool. That's tragic. It's horrible. I mean, that's scary, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's really scary. Um, and then also, this isn't an outline, but basically it ends with, like, Marcel and Natalie having a conversation. Like, another weird conversation as they, like, leave for the night. And I was just, like, that was the moment I was, like, okay, we're going here. We're, like, going full steam a uh, love quadrangle ahead. Yeah, and I saw your tweet about that, and I was, like, oh, quadrangle. I'm, like, just that word, like, fills me with dread. Yeah, but we're going there. Like, I was, like, oh, that's the moment. I was, like, we're going there. 
I didn't really get that a- should all come to shit in the 100th episode too. Oh, big time. Big time. I didn't really get a big flirty vibe from that final scene, but I mean, they're not they 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 don't tend it to build friendships. They tend to build relationships first. It wasn't necessarily that I got the flirty vibe from that scene, but after like just having the building episodes or the building scenes of like the earlier one just having the earlier ep- earlier scenes building towards this moment there we go i can speak english i promise (laughs) um but having those earlier moments lead to this and like seeing that and seeing them be so comfortable and it was kind of like a without saying too much it was kind of like a vulnerable moment in some regards Mm -hmm. i was just like i was like oh i was like that's it i was like we're going there and then obviously with like the april scene from earlier on clearly april's still into marcel for some reason i don't know and then like i was like oh well I guess we're getting the quadrangle. The quadrangle. Oh my god, this is going to end so badly. Yeah, that's something that hey, that is something we've never seen before on these shows. No. The quadrangle. I think part of the reason why Marcel sticking around to, you know, go the extra mile and find out exactly why this girl died, I feel like the reason it was so compelling and not exhausting is because we still don't know the full story. We we can we can assume that he lost a child, but we still don't know whether he did. Yes, I wanted to know so bad, and I still do. Yeah, like give it to me, please. Yeah. So, but at this point now, I'm like, I kind of enjoying like the mystery, but also I do want to know. I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's Marcel again. Do not fire a gun into the air because what comes up must come down. Let that be lesson number four. Goodness. So, last bit in the hospital is our good friend, our favorite redhead, Will. Oh, Will. Oh, Will. Oh, Will. Okay, Bryna, take it away. Yes. So, Will is heading into a shift at med on no sleep after overextending himself at the clinic because, of course, he is. Oh, Will. Oh, Will. And so he, of course, his patient, again, there's not a ton here, but like enough to talk about. So he starts working on a patient whose bowel is FOS, full of stool. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it ends up being turning out that her uterus is enlarged. And so there's probably a fibroid sitting on it. So he orders a pelvic ultrasound and a gynae consult. As it turns out, Will's gynae consult is none other than Hannah Asher, a.k.a. Val from the clinic. Dun, dun, dun. Which, as you know, we all already knew, but, you know. Thanks, Deadline. Yeah, thanks, Deadline. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. So, we finally meet her in real form. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Will then, once he sees her, he's like, oh, crap. But he doesn't say anything. He just then tries to convince his patient not to have the surgery that she needs to remove the fibroid because he knows that Hannah's actually a junkie and probably shouldn't be operating. Oh, man. I have a problem with this, but also don't have a problem with this. This is tough because I feel like he never accepts the advice of his colleagues. He always has to, like, second guess it, no matter who it is. But at the same time, like, I see why he's doing that. But also, like, it's none of his business because Hannah's not showing any signs of being high. It's, this is like a rock and a hard place. 
I didn't have a problem with his concern. Because, like, yeah, the last time you saw her, she was about to die, and now she's going to operate on your patient. Yeah, I have no problem with you being concerned. I have a problem with the way he talked to her about it. Yeah. And, like, the way he handled it. And, like, the fact that she was like, not that it's any of your business, but I'm sober now. And he's like, I'd expect an addict to say that. You can't tell her that. Yeah. You can, but, like, you say it nicer. He always he does that kind of shit with Natalie as well. Do we ever see him do that with Ethan or like did we ever see him do it with Connor? Did he ever question their judgment? Um, if he did, it was in a different way. I feel like we've seen it happen to maybe not Connor, but to Ethan. I feel like we've seen it before, but it's still it's not a good look because it just I mean, the way he talks to her, he talks down to her in this episode, which is not cool. Like at all. I mean, yeah, so she's an she's an addict, but she's still your equal. She's still a fellow doctor. She's still a colleague. Treat her with some damn respect. Right. Yeah, it just it really bothered me. Again, I didn't have an issue with the fact that, like, he was concerned for his patient safety. That didn't bother me. It was the way he talked to her. Yeah, and the whole thing about like, and the whole thing about him like throwing the whole addict thing in her face because he really does throw it in her face a lot. He's like, yeah, like when he says, "I'd expect an addict to say that." Okay, but let's talk about the fact that you met her at a safe injection site, meaning she sought out the safe injection site as a safe place to get high because she knew it was safe. So she's not reckless in being. Well, I mean. You know what I mean? But she, she's not like, she's not some junkie shooting up in like an alleyway, right? She sought out a safe space to do this, knowing that she would be in a secure environment. So throwing it in her face and being like, oh, you're just nothing but an addict. That's not fair. Right. Right. So the patient elects to have the surgery, though. And so Will, because, again, Will, he decides to pace outside the OR and, like, keep sending in nurses to check up on Hannah. And I was like... No. Again, not how you treat a colleague. Do you not have anything better to do, Will? Right. And the nurse, like, he sends the nurse in, like, uh, however many times that had been. And she, like, basically immediately comes out and she's like, yeah, Dr. Asher said to leave. And Will's like, nope. I Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm going to stay out here all day. It's like, okay, Will. I, it, yeah. It's not, we're not off to a good start. I just, I... Yeah, he he sh- he should be treating he should be treating her with more respect basically. I mean just because just because she's an addict does not mean that she's any less deserving of a certain degree of respect. She's still a human being and she's still your colleague. Right. And again, like so at the end like the patient ends up being fine from surgery and like it the episode ends with like Will and Hannah essentially blackmailing each other into not outing each other. But that's where the thing really comes into is that like Will's kind of caught in a hard place because he can't go to Goodwin and tell her about Hannah because then Hannah would be like, well, the reason he knows this is because I saw him at the safe injection site, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, like, it's kind of caught in between a rock and a hard place, but I still feel like Will could have found a better way to handle this. Oh, 100%. I think Will's more screwed in this instance than Hannah. Yeah. I mean... Especially because Dr. Charles literally said, like, dude, what you're doing is illegal. Like, stop. Right. Right. And so now, of course, Will's going to, you know, he's going to try and save her. And then he's going to get frustrated when he can't. And. Yeah. Will. Yeah. Oh, Will. 
Oh, Will. <laughs> Any other notes about Med? No, but a solid episode. I like how there were a lot of things going on at once. Mm-hmm. Kept it entertaining. Yeah. So moving into fire. Okay. Um, I don't know who invited Gorsh back to the party, but that happened. His name is Derek Haas. Rude. <laughs> Rude. And quite literally because Derek wrote this episode. So Derek literally invited him back. Yeah. Um, Emily Longaretta, our friend at Us Weekly, she had tweeted earlier today, or like early on Thursday. She was like, you know, um, I looked up to see who wrote the episode because it was so emotional. And then I saw that it was Derek. And in my head, I was just like, yeah, anytime that like. Anytime you feel like your heart's just getting ripped out and, like, stomped on in an episode, it's, chances are Derek probably wrote the episode. Probably. And I also feel like Derek's the only one who could have written Gorsh. True story. True that. True that. So we start the episode, 81 has a new truck. It's all shiny and red and pretty. It's and like Christmas all over. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, Mouch rolls up and he's like, is there an angel playing a golden harp nearby? Because like somebody answered my prayers. And Casey's like, where did this come from? And Bowden's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So Gore shows up because, you know, please don't. Whatever. But Gore shows up and he says that he wants to work with 51. And so he has a multi-million dollar order in for a second set of turnout gear for each firefighter. This is circling back to the Cancer Support Network episode from a couple weeks ago. And so Gorsh says, he's like, you know, I have a cousin who died from cancer. It's something really near and dear to my heart. So basically the truck came from him. And he even mentions at one point, he's like, yeah, I want to work with you guys, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, Grissom put a spending freeze in place. So he's basically trying to say like, hey, Grissom's the bad one. This whole episode, the facial expressions between Severide and Bowden are like the best thing in the world because it's just their faces are just like, this is bullshit. It's faces like you and I make at each other sometimes. It's true. It's very true. Yes. If you've ever wondered what a Gina and Bryna conversation looks like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. So Severide and Bowden are talking to another lieutenant who basically says that he got an email that the purchase order from this company was approved, but the company never got it. So Gorsh apparently told them that they were rejected. And so Severide and Bowden go to Gorsh, like ready to, you know, be like, you asshole, like we knew what you were doing. And Gorsh just says that it was all a misunderstanding because he's like, I rejected the original company. I found this new one. They make it at two thirds of the cost. Blah, blah, blah. This is great. Also, holy Severide eyes through this whole episode. But what else is new? Um, yeah. And so Severide calls Ritter into his quarters, which makes me laugh, by the way, because when he was like, Ritter, you're really good with tech, right? I was like, no, he's just the resident millennial. It's so funny. Every time I see Daniel post a um, TikTok video, and especially when it has like um, Alberto or something in it, I'm like, ugh. I'm like, gonna be like, mom, the millennials are doing things again. <laughs> Their TikToks are getting better and better too. The, the last one had Kara in it. I know. They're so funny. They're, but I just like every time I see them, I'm like, mom, the millennials are doing millennial things again that I don't understand because I don't get TikTok. I know. Yeah, I honestly don't either. You don't get TikTok? Heck no. I don't understand the point of it. I don't and it's funny. Either. I did an interview, I guess it was like right after the new year. Um, with an actor and he he was like one of the things he was telling me about that he was really into was TikTok and we literally had like a 20 minute conversation about TikTok and like 
you know, he was like, yeah, I think this is kind of the new thing. Take over Instagram. He was like going on and on about this whole thing. And I was like, but how is it different from Vine? I think it's like a mix. I mean, I get that it's different because like it's longer and like you can do some different things with it. Like I get it, but it's essentially Vine. I, okay. So our, our, our hip and millennial cool listeners, unlike the millennials that we are that are not hip and cool, is TikTok like a mix of like Vine and Dub Smash? Yes, I think that is a great way to probably explain it from what I've gathered. I did one TikTok with my friend Matt like years ago. Not maybe not years ago, maybe like a year or two ago. And it was because we like to drunkenly sing the duet from Frozen together. Um, And so we did a TikTok to that where we just basically sang the song from Frozen. So I'm thinking it's like a mix of Dub Smash and Vine, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I just I don't know. I don't see the point in it my brother and like his friends are obsessed with it just like and not even making tiktoks but like scrolling through and like laughing at them and like my brother sent me one the other day and i was like okay (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah okay well some of them are really funny that the scrolling through part i get because some of them that i've seen are actually pretty hilarious but uh my best friend and i were at a gymnastics meet last week and in the middle of the meet they're playing this song and like all of the kids in the stand, all the gymnasts on the floor, they're all like doing this dance together. And the three of us are all looking at each other and we're like, what is happening right now? And so there was like a young gymnast behind us and I flat out turned around and I was like, do you know this song? And she's like, oh yeah, it's from TikTok. And we were like, what? Yeah, that's where I'm like, what? Yeah, so. I don't know. But if it is, it. if it is the max, if it is the mix of Vine and Dub Smash, like I think it is, then we need to do some digging and find out if there are any One Chicago scenes on there because we could have a blast with that. Yeah, I I just yeah I don't get it. I know I, don't I mean get the appeal of it. I don't either. So young or younger listeners out there, please educate us. Please don't call us. We grandmas. would actually love to know. But yeah, we would really love to know. Don't judge us. We just, we we don't know. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So they go confront Gorish. He found the company that makes him at two thirds the cost. You know, blah blah blah, whatever. So Sev calls Ritter, asks him to look into the company that Gorish wants to use. Turns out, so Dobson is the company that he wants to use. Dobson's head of sales is one of Gorsh's friends, and Gorsh was going to get $200,000 in kickbacks because y'all, Gorsh gonna Gorsh. Yep. Yeah, just bye, Gorsh. Bye. 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 Although this scene when Severide calls him on his bullshit is the best. It's literally everything I've ever wanted. The best. It's like full on Detective Severide. It's amazing. Like, just pluck him out of that office and put him over into the 21st just for one episode. I just want to see him work with intelligence once. Just once. That's all I ask. Yeah. Yeah. Just just let him, you know, give it a crossover. Let him go a little rogue and learn his lesson. But, like, you know, I'm pretty sure Voight's going to be like, can you, like, work here permanently? Yeah. would be pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I do love the part where the, the woman from, you know, from the ivory tower, wherever she's from, when uh, she mentions to Gore, she's like, tell him you're fired. Like, ding dong, the witch is dead. Mic <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mic drop. Bye. <laughs> yeah. But they still get the equipment. So that's all that matters. Yep. That is what matters. Because the good guys usually always win. Our peeps. Yep. And now, Gorsh, may you never come back. Yeah. That was, uh, I get that Derek wanted to come back. He wanted him to come back once, but never again. No, never again. 
Let's just like punt him out of the universe. Never like, stay away. Yeah. Stay away. <laughs> Never again. Maybe when Roman leaves, he can take Gorsh with him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just all head out west. That's all. Go. Like, Go. leave. Leave. Bye. Yeah. So we also had a lot of cassette going on, had a lot of Casey and Brett. And so I feel the need to dodge tomatoes as I say what I'm about to say, but I didn't hate this. No, me either. I like it. And I know we're in the very, very, like the very minor camp that feels this way. I mean, if you put the Casey and Brett of it aside, the fact that it's those two characters together, it's just a very sweet story. I just, I like it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So 51 gets called to a house fire and it's an elderly couple who like just, just moved in. And I mean, I got major up vibes from this couple. Did you like channel the movie up? I've never seen it, but I know what happens and I understand why you say that, but I've never seen it. Okay. Um, yeah. And so like, it's this elderly couple. The husband is literally like holding off the flames with a coffee table. Like he is just like, he's going to save his wife or bust. And so they get them to the hospital and Brett and Casey go follow up. And so the the guy just tells this like really sweet story of how, you know, they always liked Chicago. You know, they lived elsewhere in the country and they both retired and they finally decided to just up and move. And so they talk about how, you know, he talks about how they brought their cat Dusty and, you know, it's just a sweet story. And so Casey and Brett like go outside to give him some space. And that's when I think it's Natalie who comes in, right? Yes, it was Natalie. Yeah. And so then we find out that, you know, the wife unfortunately didn't make it. Um, And so it's, you know, it's sad. It's just major like up vibes again. And so there's um, there's a scene there. Go ahead, Brenna. Okay. Yeah. So basically, so the wife doesn't make it. And like, there's this scene where Casey and Brett are looking on and like, he has his like, Casey like puts his hand on the small of Brett's back during the scene. And it just had me all hard eyes. Like, I don't know. I like them. Yeah, it and th- that's just a really small gesture. Like it's sweet. I mean, you know, we we women we cry when we feel things, right? And so, like, you know, we're we're quick to do it, or quicker than men, maybe. And so, I th- I that was just a sweet gesture of just like I understand. It's cool. Like it happens. It's okay. Yeah, I just I don't know. It gave me it gave me all the like warm and fuzzy feels. I don't know. Me too. Maybe me that's too. just me. Yeah. So. Casey and Brett decide they're going to go look for the cat because why not? Because they're Casey and Brett. I liked how Brett was like, I think I'm going to go look for Dusty. And Casey was like, I'm going to come with you. Yeah. I, but the, they didn't ride in the same car. I don't know. I thought that was a little weird. I know. But whatever. Casey and Brett going to Casey and Brett. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's like no fire damage to this house. It Like, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Like, I don't. I wasn't. The, the fire was in the whole house, wasn't it? That's what I thought. And they come back and this house is like nothing ever happened. It's weird. It is weird. Also, Sylvie, take it from a dog person. Cats don't answer to their own names. <laughs> that was so funny, though. It's so funny. Um, so basically, Kate, or Brett ends up opening up to Casey while they're out there looking. And she tells him that her birth mother is seeking contact and she's like, I don't want to do it. You know, she's like, I want to do it on my timetable. Like, she doesn't get to set the agenda. Like, she gave up that right a long time ago. Um, 
And Casey said something really sweet. He's like, you know what? Like, all I know is that you've I've been impressed by your ability to see good in the good in people always. And I, you know, I think that, yeah, I think that's a fair point. And I think, you know, obviously we're going to see more about the Brett birth mother stuff in the next episode, but I'm excited. I think this is going to be a good storyline too. Yeah, I think it will be. I feel like it was a little bit random, but I guess I'm not complaining. I don't know. I just, it was so out of the blue, right? It was like, it kind of reminded me of that Geico commercial where the guy's an action star and his mom keeps calling with like insignificant news. And she's like, well, there's squirrels in the basement again. But, you know. But isn't that kind of, I mean, isn't that kind of what this situation is? Like, Brett doesn't go, you know, she goes for forever not hearing from her mother and not caring to hear from her mother. And then all of a sudden her mother wants to come back into her life. Yeah, it is a little out of the blue. I think maybe the part that seems odd to me is that she's getting Casey's input on it because we never see their friendship. We just see their flirtation. But I think that we've seen more of their friendship this season. I mean, I'd be fair. I mean, yeah, before, I'd say before last season, definitely not. But like this season, especially, I feel like we've seen more of their friends scenes. Mm -hmm. I think in order to to kind of counteract what everyone has said that like Casey and Brett weren't even really friends. So like, why are they going to get together? Yeah. And so now I think we're seeing more of the friends this season. And I think this is just another example of that. Right. Right. And I will say, I mean, Casey definitely says the right thing in this scene. Cause I mean, that is spot on. I mean, anybody will tell you that Sylvie sees the good in anybody, but there's just something that like I, his advice to Brett does not roll off the tongue it, the way it did to Gabby. Just an observation. True. True. Yeah. So they find Dusty and then sneak him into med because honestly, who cares about potential allergies in a hospital? Like nobody cares. There are no rules. There are no rules in Chicago. Yeah, I yeah. And I mean it makes the guy happy, which like I'm all for, but I was just like, really? Like okay, fine. If it was sneaking him into like a hotel. Sure, I don't care. But like a hospital where there's all the allergies? Really, guys? Really? I loved how the Chicago Fire account tweeted and was like, sorry, Med. I was like, why are you apologizing? Like, have you met the doctors in this hospital? They don't care. Right, yeah. And at some point somebody says like, oh, yeah, it's illegal. Like, it's Med. It's Med. What does that mean? Nothing is illegal at Med. Right, they don't know any different. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing that I loved, I mean, of course, this is like a great moment. Um, Brett and Casey and the rest of Firehouse 51 and a ton of other people from Chicago show up to his wife's funeral because there had been an incident earlier where like a bunch of people who were around the scene like helped out and so they were all like you know Chicago shows up for each other and then they repeated at this and they're like Chicago shows up for each other and it's just oh my god I loved it tweet deck was like exploding in that last scene it was just like tweet after tweet after tweet and everybody was just like oh my god oh my god oh my god and uh, same well and it's so funny because i don't think i really realize like random people on my facebook that i'm friends with but you know not really friends with but you know those random people on fa- that you're friends with on facebook mm-hmm. um like i didn't really realize that people watch chicago fire and then like people were posting about it last night like people i don't know from conventions or anything people i just know from home that like i don't really know um but they were posting someone posted they were like oh my god the ending the fire had me in tears or something like that and then like people i know were commenting on it. i was like this is so weird but like <laughs> that's how big that scene was that it got people to post about it on facebook and i was just like what Big time. 
So yeah. I thought that was cool. But yeah, also weird. I was like, what? Do you watch <laughs> Chicago Fire? Since when? How have we never talked? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. So. Yeah, that ending was like, my heart was going to like burst. I was just like, oh my god. Yeah. Just squad. squad. Everything about the all three episodes just had me in tears. It was like a constant crying fest for like three hours last night. For real. But actually, though. But actually. But actually. So, yeah, I, I I wonder, I mean, where are we going with Brett and Casey? Are, is Casey just going to be there for her, do this mom thing? Like, what are I, I, I don't... think we'll have a better idea after next week. Okay. Okay. All right. But we'll see. I mean, again, I, I, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Nope. So, we also had Cruz and Foster, and this one was kind of weird. It was weird. It was I, weird. I don't understand. Okay, so I feel like I feel like Foster doesn't understand like how to be a good roommate. Yeah. Like I don't know. Okay, so we start off and Foster's dating again. Like awesome, great. So Cruz makes some face as like she's walking out with her, you know her, her whoever stayed the night. Um and you know that's great whatever. So we get back to the firehouse and Cruz is talking about the wedding which like give me more. I will talk all wedding all day. Like I will be your personal wedding planner Joe Cruz, call me. Um who do you side with? Cruz wanting the jazz band or Chloe wanting a 90s party band? Oh, you know I want the 90s party band. I mean same, I figured, but like But they're not allowed to play the Backstreet Boys. <sighs> Fuck you. <laughs> I know. I just I just pissed off like half of our listeners. I know. I'm so sorry, you guys. I still love you. I just am team in sync. Sorry. Um they can play the Backstreet Boys, okay? Don't hate me. But yeah, no, I would totally want the nineties party band. <laughs> yeah. So Foster tells Cruz that, you know, I'm having a party tomorrow night and just like be ready for that. Okay, whatever. Fine. So Cruz tells Severide that Foster is throwing a party and he wants some fashion advice. Why are you going to Severide for fashion advice? My favorite line of like maybe the whole episode, Severide like turns and looks at him and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and we're just like, same Severide, same. Because like, what the fuck, Cruz? Like, yeah, why are you going to Severide for fashion advice? I feel like Severide never wears anything on that show but his turnout gear. Right. Or like, what? Yeah. What does he even wear when he's not on shift? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like a black V-neck? Like, cool. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Got a Kelly Severide like, Halloween costume must be really easy. <laughs> yeah. Also but worth just... noting in this moment is that Severide is definitely snacking and I think he's having peanut butter. Like a, He's having a banana like with peanut butter. And if so, like, that's an underrated combo. He Kelly. is. I went back and, like, looked at it because I thought at first that it was peanut butter on, like, apple or something. And I was like, oh, okay. But, yeah, it's banana. Um, Seriously underrated combo. I will die on that hill. Eh. I don't really like banana, so. Mm. Uh, that's tragic. That's a bummer. Yeah. So, Cruz later shows up to Molly's and it's it's not, <laughs> like, yeah. So, the Wolf Entertainment Twitter Gave us this tidbit. So Cruz shows up to Molly's in Derek Haas's tracksuit. It's amazing. Derek, where did you get that? Yeah, I have so many questions. Same. And what was your Halloween costume that year that you got it? I I have so many questions, Derek. It's pretty, yeah. I, I just, I need details. I died because that's a terrible tracksuit. It's pretty <laughs> terrible. It's pretty terrible, yeah. And so... um. 
even Stella says, Stella's like, I'm pretty sure Kim Jong-il wore that same tracksuit. And Cruz is just like, what? Like, I don't get it. Well, and then he's so funny because he's like, he's like, what? You mean this is terrible? He's like, I have to go back. He's like, I can't go back to my house because the party's going to be there. So, like, I have to show up in this tracksuit. He just, like, starts freaking out about it. And I'm just like, Cruz, calm down. It's not that serious. So Cruz goes back to the party and, like, the the girl at the door thinks that he's Postmates. But, like. Right. This this is where I'm like, Foster, what the hell is your deal? Because, like, he lives there. So he gets invited by default because he freaking lives there. That's how it always goes. Always. Right. You may invite them just out of curious or I can't speak English tonight, <laughs> but you may just invite them just because it's nice thing to do. And you don't expect them to actually show up, but you still invite them. But even if they, you know, even if they say that they're not going to show up and they show up, like, you can't do anything about that. Because once again, they live there. Right. So if Cruz unless wants you, to roll it, to the... Go ahead. Well, unless you explicitly state, hey, I don't want you here. I'm having, you know, whatever it is. Like, I'm having, I don't know what kind of party he would not want to go to. But, like, unless you explicitly state that, that's the only reason he cannot show up and not come in. Or right. show up and not come in. Right. Or, I mean, even if he, like, even if Foster's like, I don't want you here, he can just go hole up in his room. But, like, there's, like, roommate code there that, like, Foster's really violating. And that kind of, like, her attitude about it really made me mad. I was like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Rude. So, Cruz basically is sulking. He takes out his anger on some bacon that he's trying to make. And Emily basically tells him that it's on him that he was exiled from his own apartment. What? No, it no, 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 no. Although I will say, I was kind of confused because Cruz was like, I had to struggle to find a place to stay. Why didn't you just go stay at Chloe's? I don't understand. Ooh, good point. <laughs> like, why were you struggling so hard to find a place? I don't understand. You just go to your girlfriend's and I, I don't know. But also, you live there. Or so fiance, not girlfriend, fiance. You live there. So you could just like blow past Foster and be like, fuck you, I'm staying in my room. Right, like, my name's on the lease. Get out. And his name Party's was on the lease long before Emily's was. Right, party's over. And her name might not even be on the lease if we're doing a whole sublease situation. I'm mm-hmm. just saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, if, yeah, we'll get, <laughs> that would be getting in the weeds, but we're not going to go there. So, yeah, um, later on, Emily eventually apologizes to Cruz. You know, she's like, I didn't think that you'd want to come to a singles party, you know, whatever. And so she's like, don't worry, like, we'll throw a party next time. We'll throw a proper party. And so he's excited, but he's also panicking because, you know, Nick Porter filled his head with ridiculous stuff. But also, Emily never said it was a singles party. I'm just saying. No, not from the outset. No. No. Emily's in the wrong, in my opinion, on this one. So in the wrong. Yeah, just not I'm not a fan. Like, I'm not. No. I'm, like, a fan of Emily's. I'm just not a fan of how she handled this situation. So bad. 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 So, lastly, we had Herman and Mouch. Brian, will you take us through this? Yeah. I mean, not a ton, but, like, enough to talk about. Basically, Mouch is, of course, as we mentioned, is ecstatic that 81 got a new rig. Whereas Herman is pissed because not everyone is getting one. (laughs) He just goes on this rant. He's like, Engine 51 is the afterthought of this firehouse blah 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 and like mouch literally can't stop rubbing it in in herman's face so herman then gets back at mouch for changing the schedule at molly's and then mouch now has to work like five nights a week or something um 
and it's just great. And so Matt ends up apologizing, though, basically saying he's been a touch jealous ever since Herman made lieutenant because they were on the same track up until that point, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, Herman's like, you know, I didn't realize. Like, why didn't you say something? And then Herman ends up accepting the apology and agrees to go back to the old schedule and match, like, pieces out. He's like, okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> that's, that's, it's sweet, though. I mean, oh, my yeah. yeah. I just, I love them. Same, same. And I love when Gallo is asking Ritter, he's like, what's going on? And Ritter's like, sometimes the volcano just bubbles up and you just got to let it do its thing and leave it alone. Yeah, he's like, you don't get in the firehouse drama. Nope, nope. So, any other notes about fire? Mm, solid episode. Uh, yeah, just straight up solid episode. It was good. It was good. Yeah. So, moving into PD. Okay, so, this was a heartbreaker. Just, yeah. Yeah, just a heartbreaker. Okay, so we're just going to dive right in because we just are. Okay, so... Um, I thought this case was actually really good, though. This wasn't one of those where the case was, like, dragging. I thought this was pretty good. Yeah, but I still didn't really care that much. I mean, like, I cared, but not really. I don't know. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. So we start off, and Adam is moving into Kim's because this is just adorable. They're at some, like, coffee stand outside the 21st, and, you know, they're just having a sweet moment talking about Adam moving in. And, you know, it even ends when Adam's like, have a good day, you two. Just, just kill me. Just yeah, and apparently Disco Bop doesn't approve. I don't remember that. What did he? What did he say? Well, no, he says something. Or Burgess says something about like, you know, uh, he, he says something about like not everyone being happy. And Kim's like, "Oh, your dad," and he's like, "Yeah," or whatever, you know, something like that. So it was just like an offhand thing. But I was like, "Oh, okay." Whatever, Disco Bob. Nobody asked you. Right. Rude. Yeah. Not your life. No. Mm-mm, no. So. Um, Kim's working light duty she's working dispatch and she gets a call and it's a frightened woman who won't say anything and so at the end of the day Burgess goes to the 21st she tries to talk to the officers who you know followed up on the call and um, they're a little bit of a dick to her that guy's like oh yeah well you know you're you're pregnant right like so those hormones are going like excuse you sir right get out of here I will punch you um I do love that moment, though, when Platt was like, that's a bad idea. And she was like, so you're coming with me. Like, perfect. Perfect. I would also pay really good money to watch a Platt and Burgess, like, buddy cop, spin- buddy cop spinoff. Oh, my God. I would die. It'd be amazing. Yeah. I, I need it. I need it. It would be awesome. Be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they basically go to this apartment, Burgess and Platt do, and they find the dead body of George Weller in the elevator. So he'd been shot and basically like the door just was like repeatedly closing on him. Just not terrible. Terrible, but also not the worst PD death we've ever seen. Rest in peace. No, but like just like a terrible, yeah, terrible way to go out though. Like your body just keeps getting beaten over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, so... So at the scene, the responding officers note that the woman that they spoke to was not the woman from the DMV photo because they thought it was Ann Weller. It wasn't Ann Weller. And there's a moment where Voight just says, Voight's like, so what made you follow up? And Burgess goes, I heard it in her voice. I kind of tensed up at that moment because I thought he was going to lace into her the same way the other officers did. And he just patted her on the back and was like, good. Yeah. Thank you, Voight. Thank you. So the Upsteads question Anne, and they basically learned that George Weller has been cheating on her. So he liked prostitutes, you know, 
teach their own. But intelligence hacks his iCloud. They find two photos of two different women, one of which was the woman who answered the door. And they were both taken about 10 minutes before the 911 call. So Burgess thinks the second unidentified woman is the one who called 911 because George had been messaging a burner phone, presumably a pimp. So Voight wants them to like tear the burner up to learn more. Oof, okay, so CPIC tears the burner up and they basically find that it pinged right outside of George's condo. Yeah, so basically, like, it's not on for long, but when it is, like, it pings a different tower, usually clear across town. But when this happened, the phone pinged right outside the condo and also synced to the condo's Wi-Fi, meaning that the burner or the the other phone on the other line, like, the pimp's phone was, like, there during the time of death. Yes, yes. So they pull images off a traffic cam. They determine that the guy is Daniel Lopez. And Daniel's just a real upstanding citizen. Um, he's mm-hmm. wanted by like six dates, um, wanted by the FBI. That would have been the perfect case to pull an FBI one Chicago crossover. I'm just saying. Thank you. Thank you. I think it would have been the most wanted team, but I would have been totally okay with it. Just saying. That's the only one I watched. So I'm, yeah, I would have definitely been okay with it too. Yeah, we haven't like talked, talked about this. What do you think so far? Um, well, I've only watched those two episodes, um, so my thoughts really haven't changed. But there is a third. Fine. I know. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. okay. I think there's probably a fourth too. Is there a fourth? Have- no, they didn't air last night because it's State of the Union. They didn't air on Tuesday night. Right. Okay. Yeah. Great. So I only have one more episode to catch up on. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I. I mean, I think I'd like some more personal, but like it's fine. So I think the key now to getting you to watch shows I need you to watch is for them to do a spinoff. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just need Supernatural to do a spinoff now, and we can like rope you in. But I don't know if FBI must wanted. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. Like I need more personal. Like the only reason I'm sticking with Nine One One Lone Star is because of the personal. Because because TK... I'm definitely not sticking around for the cases. Oh my god. Oh my god. The cases. Um. But TK and Carlos are absolutely just like carrying that show. Yeah, I literally saw something of them on Twitter and was like, I think I need to watch this. Quite literally. <laughs> like, you, yeah. They are. You guys, Brenda texted me a gif. This is 911 Lone Star we're talking about. Brenda texted me a gif and was just like, I don't know anything about this show. I don't know these characters, but I'm in. And I was like, yeah, perfect. Like, I ship it. I was like, I ship it. And you were like, is that TK and Carlos? Yeah, that's TK and Carlos. That's great. And I was like, I'm here for this. Yeah, it's, it's pretty And great. I was really sad. They don't have, they didn't have any scenes this week. I was. <sighs> I know. I know. I know, Just, but they're, they're yeah. pretty good. If you're not watching 911 Lone Star, go get on it. But also, like, take it with a grain of salt because the calls are ridiculous. Um, but the personal is that. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Yes. A plus plus. Yes. So this definitely would have been the ideal moment for a crossover with FBI. When the FBI people like walk upstairs, I'm like, where the hell are OA and Maggie? Like, who are these people? Give me give me. When my it's people. so funny, because every time now they mention FBI, I keep going my head keeps going back to that dick wolf quote or whatever when it's like yeah well we don't really know what's like something's coming and i'm just like are they gonna pop up out of nowhere is kellen lutz gonna all of a sudden like walk up the stairs at the 21st like i need to know i'm okay with it yeah i'm cool with it yeah so um yeah so fbi shows up they basically tell them that like congratulations you fell into a human trafficking ring and so they basically recruit domestic girls and move them every couple of months. And it never fails. Every time I see a, like a human trafficking story on TV, it's just disturbing. Like, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. And so um, intelligence goes through the FBI's files and one of the pictures pops up in their system and it's a girl by the name of Mira Davis. And this girl, oh my God, can she act? Yeah, this was amazing. This was amazing. Yeah. And so uh, when they pull up with her, she's like yelling at Voight and she's like calling Adam baby and like the yelling at Voight part made me cringe. I was like, don't, why would you, why would you talk to him that way? Like, oh my God, he could kill you. Right. That's like a, basically a death sentence. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so Mira doesn't want to talk at first, but Burgess gets her to crack. And like, if you just take a second to think about the glow up that Kim has had from season one to season seven, like. It's amazing because like season one Burgess, season two Burgess would never do this stuff. She would never be able to do this stuff. No, not at all. It's amazing. It's it's so amazing. I also love, love, love how they filled in like the interview with the like the case building. So, you know, like Jay would ask a question and then they would cut to the interview with Mira and Kim. And then like Haley would ask a question and then they cut back to it. I thought that was so genius. It was clever editing. I did really like that. Yeah, very clever. And it also, it, it kind of helped pick up the pace. Like, it, it made you feel like the middle of the episode was, like, just put in a hyperdrive. Yeah. I it was it. definitely needed, too. Yeah. Good I love that. Yeah. And so, so Mira confirms that, like, yeah, she was in Daniel's ring. And so, intelligence goes to the neighborhood where Mira says that the house was. And so, Upstead go inside the convenience store to ask around. And the girl behind the counter confirms that, you know, she's seen a passenger van with girls before outside a bar. Like, could you imagine that? Just like every day seeing a van, like a suspiciously pulling up with like a bunch of girls who look like they're whacked out of their minds. Like, right. And I guess you obviously can't call the police because, like, what? Like, you have no real proof that they've done anything wrong. Right. But like, still crazy. So crazy. So crazy. So they sit on the bar. They see the van. They see the girls. And Kev puts a tracker on the van. He's super smooth about it too. He's just like, boop. Yeah. Super smooth. So later that night, intelligence pulls up to the ring's house and they breach. And it's one of those moments that's like super cool because it's just like they turn the block dark and they're all like messed up and, you know, the usual cool stuff. And so they find the girl who pretended to be Mrs. Weller along with the 18 girls in the house. But they don't find the other Jane Doe and they don't find Daniel. And at this point, like you can just see like the fire in Kim's eyes. Like she's like she's pissed. I mean, she's not even relieved that they found these girls. She's pissed. Like, she wants to just keep on going. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is a really incredible episode for Kim. Just, all she does is follow her instinct, and, like, all of the things that happen from it are just, like, amazing. So. Yeah. It, yeah. Go ahead. No, I, yeah. I just, yeah. Go ahead, Brenna. <laughs> take it from here. Yeah. So. Um, basically, Voight and Burgess go to med and question Natalie, who the girl from the condo and the first girl from the set of pictures. So basically, she's a victim turned abuser, so she doesn't want to give up information at first, because why would she? She's now the abuser. And so she eventually says that Baby, being the other Jane Doe that they don't have their eyes on yet, acted out. So Daniel had to kill George Weller and had to take Baby to break her. Um... And so Kevin and Rojas come back from interviewing the rest of the girls from the house and a couple of them mentioned motels. So now they're just like stuck on the idea of like looking at motels. And so intelligence starts checking off possible motels from their list and Burgess is out there too. Um, and she gets a call from dispatch from the guy that she'd been working with. And he's like, 
yeah, we're getting a call from the number that Intelligence had a trap trace on. And as it turns out, it's Baby. So Burgess is like, of course, stay there, stay there. You know, like, don't move. I'm on my way. And so Burgess goes to the motel nearest Baby's location with, of course, without waiting for Intelligence because it's Burgess. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, paging Intelligence and they're like, we're on our way. It'll be like three minutes. Like, hold on. But she hears screaming, so she barges into the room. And then she gets in a fight with Daniel. And Daniel ends up beating the crap out of her pretty badly. But, like, this scene is so hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. And it, it's, it's, dare I say, it's violent. It's so violent. And, I mean, I didn't even know. Like, watching it once was tough enough. But, like, having to rewatch it to, like, try to type out stuff for the outline i was like it was hard there's two there are two moments in particular where like i like recoiled i was like oh so like the first one was when he throws her against the sink and then the second Mm -hmm. one was when she takes the top of the toilet and like smashes the glass in his face both of those i was like oh oh shit well i think it would have been bad enough if it had just been you know burgess but like Burgess is carrying child at this point, so it's even ten times worse. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh no!" And as soon as as soon as that happened, I was like, "Oh, fuck!" I was I, like, "I was like, that's it." I was like, "That's we're done." I was really hoping for a last minute, like One Tree Hill style, like when Haley got hit by the car and they thought that Jamie wasn't <laughs> gonna make it, and then like they heard the heartbeat. I was really hoping for a last minute, like, "Gotcha." Nope. Yeah. Yeah. So Daniel's dead. And intelligence finally shows up, and Kim is in the bathtub with Baby, and Adam Upton comes in first and is helping Baby, and then Adam comes in and picks Kim up out of the bathtub and takes her to bed. And as we learned in, fuck, whose interview was it? TV Lines? I think so. Yeah, TV Lines, the interview Marina did with Flata from TV Line, um, that was improvised. Sort of. Adam picking her... At, yes, it the bathtub scene is not improvised. But what happened originally was that Adam is supposed to climb into the tub with Kim, but Patty, being Patty, was like, "No, like fuck that! I'm gonna pick her up and take her to med, take her to the damn hospital." And so they didn't want to like step on the writer's toes, so they like worked it out with her. But like, still, that was all Patty. I love it. And I, I think it was a good choice because I think it would have been weird yeah. for them to just sit in the tub together. Right. Like while they're while Burgess is bleeding out and their baby's dying. Yeah. I, yeah, I, that I think that, that would have been weird. I think it I think that's something that not only Patty, like Patty and Ruzik both. That's a very like in character move. Yeah. So we go to med and baby, whose real name is Emma, has Jay call her mom and, you know, she'll be OK. Like she's. She's gonna. She's tough. She's gonna be okay. But Burgess is not okay because, as we all expected, she lost the baby. <sighs> and Adam just comes in and reminds her that he's here. You know, here for her, and I'm, he's right here. He's not going anywhere. And he like climbs in bed, and that is the end of the episode. Okay, so we we saw this episode early, and oh. we have not like we haven't discussed it with each other because we were saving it for recording do you know how hard that is like you know us like that's not easy (laughs) been sitting on this for like over a week we really have we really have and so you know i 
I'm like, I, I just, my heart breaks for her. I mean, of course it does. But also it's like she was, she was in a no win situation, right? It was either that she was going to, she was going to stay or like she was going to stay outside the door and listen to this girl probably be murdered. Or she was going to go in and save the girl and put she and the baby in danger. Right. It, yeah, it's tough. Because like, like you said, it's a no win situation. Whatever she chooses is wrong. But it's 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 like a no win. But it's, it's also, also right at the same. It's also right at the same time. Bingo. It's bingo. like it's a no win. Like it's wrong. Like if she chooses to protect herself over the over the baby, then it, she's not being a good cop because she's not following her instincts and so she's not protecting the lives of the people. You know, she took an oath, like she you know to protect and serve. Right. So she's not following through that. But then at the same time, like I wouldn't have blamed her if she picked that option. Um. But then, like you said, if she picks going after the girl, she's, you know, putting herself and her baby in harm's way. It's just like there's no winning. But like at the same time, I wouldn't have been mad with either situation that she picked either. Yeah. And she, you know, she she went through the trouble of jumping the gun and getting there before intelligence did. She didn't do it just to stand outside and listen to this girl die. Right. Exactly. So I'm. Like, I'm, I'm not happy about it. I'm mad, but I'm also like double mad because I feel like they could have handled this a lot worse than they actually did. But at the same time, they could have handled this a lot better than they did. Absolutely. 100%. So it's also a double-edged sword in that way because like, yeah, they could have handled this terribly, but they also could have handled it a lot better too. If we and I, I absolutely hate that we can like compare miscarriages in this one Chicago universe now. That's wrong and that's something we should not be able to do. And I don't like it. But with Dossie, they I feel like that was a complete like crapping the bed. They were just kinda like, Oh, uh, we need to take this baby away. And so I feel like with this one they actually executed it better. Yes. But, like, we shouldn't have had to have another miscarriage. Bingo. Like you said, like, the fact we've had we've had one now literally on each show. All three shows have had one. There's not been a single character on these shows that's, like, a main character that's been pregnant and, like, had a kid. Except for Natalie. But, yeah, Natalie came in pregnant. No, but, right, but that's, that's a different. That's, yeah. That's different. Um, but, yes. It just, it really bothers me. And I'm thinking about it now. And this is something I'm literally thinking about for the first time is like, April's trying to get pregnant. Like if they actually go through with it and I'm sure she will. And I'm sure that'll be a whole thing that like April and Ethan are broken up, but like surprise, she's pregnant with his kid. Like, I'm sure that'll be a thing, but like, if she can actually be able to carry it through, or are they going to kill off that baby too? Oh my God. I never thought you know about that. Like, I, I never thought about it until just now. And I mean, I hope they don't do that. And I hope they don't make April have a second miscarriage. Cause like, that would be terrible. But like, I, it wouldn't surprise me because nobody can seem to have a pregnancy on the show. And which is so unrealistic. So unrealistic. So unrealistic. It's almost comical at this point. Even in, in, in one of the interviews, Marina did a lot of interviews after this episode. We were one of them. Um, but she she had even said that she was like, you know, this was something that I wrestled with when I was pregnant, you know, still trying to figure out how to have my career and also be a mom. But, you know, she figured it out. So and I think the thing that we're all ready for I mean, like we got a bunch of we got a bunch of comments about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But like 
I think that's something I'm ready for. Like, I'm ready to see them try to tackle, like, someone actually having, like, a legit family and kids and, like, growing their family while also trying to work because that's so realistic. It's not realistic for these people to be, like, I get it if they were all, like, 27-year-olds, right? And, like, not ready to have kids yet and, you know, like, okay, fine. And then, like, you get an accidental pregnancy and then, like, ends in miscarriage. Okay, fine. Sure. But they're all, like, older, they're not, like, they're all at the point, like, they're ready to have kids and, like, move on with their lives. I mean, some of them are. PD, maybe not. But, like, men and fire, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Kim's Kim's pregnancy, you could definitely call it accidental, but she was definitely ready to embrace the responsibility. And even in those eight episodes, we saw immense growth, not only from Burgess, but Ruzik as well. Both of those characters grew so much in the span of those episodes. Right, and it's just, I don't know, it really frustrates me that, like, we're not we haven't had that yet and like at this point like med is in season five pd's in season seven and fires in eight and you're telling me none of the characters have gotten pregnant like i don't know that's weird it 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 bothers me because it's almost i feel like they're almost playing with fire at this point right like they're using pregnancy and fertility as like a beach ball just tossing it around as like a thematic device you know, there's a certain gravity and a certain weight and a certain respect that comes with covering this, like this kind of stuff, because a lot of people have gone through absolute, like a lot of people have had good stories, but a lot of people have also suffered, you know, really painful, horrendous traumas and events. And so it, it pregnancy is not something that should just be tossed around lightly. You know, it's something that should be handled with a certain like, delicateness is that a word right Deli- yeah but like i think the thing that bugs me too is that like okay if they did this once okay fine you know i understand telling the import i understand the importance of telling a story of somebody having a miscarriage too <laughs> so like with Dossie, yeah it sucked but like and that was like a terrible episode and i will never go back and rewatch that episode but like okay fine i understand the importance of telling the story of a miscarriage but, like, this is the third time. Right. And I feel like I don't understand how they didn't realize. And, like, that, like, we're, like, we're not stupid, right? Like, how they didn't realize, like, how the PD writers aren't, like, oh, shit. Like, now that's the third miscarriage in this universe. I wonder if people are going to be mad about this. Like, hell yeah, we're going to be mad about it. And, like, a perfect aside, if this was... Upton that was pregnant. If this was anyone else that was pregnant, I'd st- and they kill and they had a miscarriage, I'd still feel the same way. Well, and it's really frustrating now too because the, essentially, I mean, when we're talking about the fallout from this, I got the vibe that Marina doesn't really know. Right, and they're filming what seventeen, eighteen, something like that. Something like that. And I know she said too, and I can't remember. I've read so many Marina interviews and listened to ours too, and I don't know which one's which anymore. But like she was saying too that like, yeah, Berzik isn't really the focus of these next episodes, but they have moments throughout. But like, still, so what are those moments if you don't really know what the fallout from this is? Right. I don't know. I. I yeah. I. I know. I know. Let's get into some of the reactions because a lot of you guys had a lot of opinions and that's exactly what we want. Like we want you guys to blow up our inbox. We want you guys to talk to us before you rage out on Twitter. Um, So 
Emily said, I just wish the show had explored a woman in that kind of work environment having a baby. Just a pity that Berzik fans were played after waiting since season three. I don't feel like we were played, but well, no, maybe we were played. I think we even played more, I think, the most in this episode. Like, the fact that they start with a scene where Berzik's moving in together and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, they're going to actually co-parent this baby. And then it's like, oh, shit. Uh, Yeah, I think the getting played part is that they probably knew going in that we were like, the minute that episode happened where it was like, Burgess, you're pregnant. We were like, whatever, that's not going to last. I think they played us and saying like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this is going to last a couple episodes and then taking it away from us. Like, just enough for us to buy in and then take it away. When I think it's on some hand, too, like playing into it or like that we all get played and because that like. They didn't tell Marina this is where she was going from the beginning. I mean, she says she doesn't really remember, but I have a feeling if she can't remember that it's not like, then it's not like she knew from the outset. It's not like they were like, hey, Marina, yeah, you and Ruzik are going to get pregnant and it's not going to end well. Like, they didn't tell her that from the beginning. So she thought that this could be a thing and Mm -hmm. then realized soon that it wasn't. Yeah. So that also, I think in that way, like, we all kind of get played. Right, right. So Jessica said, putting Kim into a situation like that where she ultimately loses ultimately loses her child is just a little overboard. I mean, yes, but also it's it's again, it's it's a no-win situation, right? Does she save the girl? Does she save the baby? Either way, either way, somebody's gonna die, and either way, she's gonna do the right thing, but there's a cost. It's a no-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even like thinking about this episode and like dis- like for, you know, t- discussing it now and stuff like that, even like as I was thinking about it, I was just like, yeah, but but she did the right thing. So like that's what makes it even worse. But yep. yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And so um, Shan said, I just want to know what the point was of this whole storyline. Um, I agree. That's what I, I don't know. Marina doesn't know, which is why that makes me kind of nervous, because like it sounds like, you know, they don't know what the fallout's going to be. So, OK. Like what? Right. Then why? Just because? Did we just put her through this pregnancy just to make things interesting? Right. Yeah. I don't know. So we also like, we saw a tweet from Tasha, and um, this was a really good tweet that we wanted to discuss. And so uh, she said, you know, being a woman in the One Chicago universe means that you can't have a baby because how could they handle that? But getting back to work right away, like losing a part of yourself, means nothing. This is my problem right here. Is that, I mean, you know, I've never been in that situation. I've never experienced a miscarriage. Brenna, I don't think you have. I mean, I'm not going to speak for you. Yeah. But I have friends who have. I have friends who have. And I've never, like, sat down to ask them about it because I know it's a very significant, a very traumatic event for a woman. And so it does a disservice to just gloss right over it. When all you hear about, I mean, you'll you'll see, you know, when celebrities will come out every now and then or somebody will post and say that they've had a miscarriage and they talk about it just to to end that stigma, to end the shame with it. Glossing over it and allowing Burgess to just like bury her feelings and move on with work, that does a disservice, a big disservice. Yeah, I'm really curious to see through these next couple episodes to see what those Burgess Burgess scenes are like, just because... Yeah, I think if they do gloss over it, then what, like, what the hell did they do? I think if they even, I was going to say, even if I think they touch it, like, I'm not saying it needs to dominate episodes, right? Right. Because, like, that's never been PD's thing. But, like, 
even if it's just like one or two significant scenes a week okay that's good enough for me like i get that they can't devote the whole 42 minutes to it i don't need them to devote 42 minutes for five weeks straight to it but like i need to see something i need to see something happening yeah, and, and just glossing over it and have Burgess, having Burgess, like, bury her feelings and, you know, be, quote, unquote, dead inside, it's irresponsible. Straight up. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's irresponsible. So we also got a message from Haley G. And, you know, she said, little part of me doesn't mind that they don't have a baby right now. Want them to be together and happy, not in a weird limbo where they friendly co-parent. So I'm surprisingly okay with it. It was still completely heartbreaking because I love them so much and those characters have been through enough. They don't deserve that. And I mean, yeah, it would have been interesting to see how they handle a baby. I mean, it would have been interesting, but I, yeah, it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching and it's hard and it's horrible. And I hate that we, like, they did it just enough to make us buy in and then just, like, took it away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sucks. I don't know. I'm just yeah. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not happy that they're making it sound like it's just gonna like be tucked under the rug. Yeah, and I really hope it's not. They did the same thing with April too. I mean, I know they did the same thing with Gabby, but if I remember correctly, they also did the same thing with April. Yeah, I think so. <sighs> but it just. I think again, the thing that frustrates me more is just like we've now had one on every show, and it's just like. I really want them to explore the idea of, like, a working mom, and I don't think we're going to ever get there, and it makes me sad. Yeah, like, don't... don't... A working mom that's not Natalie. Yeah, 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 because we never see Owen anyway. Well, and, like, yeah, and Natalie's been a working mom, essentially, since we've known her. She was pregnant, and, like, it's different with Natalie, but yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Any other notes on PD? No, I think that's it. I mean, yeah. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't know if I call this a good episode because, like, it's not a good episode because of the ending. But like, yeah, the case part was interesting. I, I don't know. It's, it, it's it hard. A, I don't know how to describe it. It was a hard episode. It's an emotional episode. Extremely. But Marina kicked ass. I will say we didn't say that. Marina kicked ass. She killed this episode. Uh, she was amazing. Hundred percent. Yes, she absolutely crushed it. She was incredible. Yeah, I mean, it was gut-wrenching and just sucks. I don't know. It really sucks. I know. I know. Yeah. So that's about all we've got for today, Shyhards. Um, before we let you go-go, though, we are going to give you our Nate Santana interview. Once again, Nate plays Atlantic on Chicago Med, and you guys just separate the character from the actor because Nate is awesome. We had so much fun with him. Right. Nate is not Lanik. Nate is not Lanik. Gina, we forgot to ask you about the Lanik at the disco hashtag. I just remembered that. Oh, damn it. I love dang bad puns. Dang it. I forgot to put it on the list. I did not ask him. Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, so we had a great time with Nate. He's a lot of fun to talk to. I realized the connection's a little bit, you know, iffy. Um, Skype has not been very kind to us this week, but, you know, we're we're, we're, we're we're, we're charging on so without further ado enjoy our interview here you go nate thanks so much for joining us we know you're busy so this is really cool to have you on yeah thanks for having me i really appreciate it of course of course so for people who only know you from chicago med we want to know how did you get involved in acting originally <laughs> um so i 
I did my first play when I was in eighth grade. Uh, it was this musical, this really, really cheesy musical called You Ain't Nothing But a Werewolf. And <laughs> it was this like really cheesy 1950s Elvis Grease meets like 1950s B horror movie. Okay. <laughs> um, so it'd be like howling all, all the time. Oh, like it was. Um, so that's that's my first uh performance ever and i was re- like really bad it was really fun but i a couple years later i saw the video and it was it was awful it was mortifying amazing i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna so go that that. My, yeah <laughs> so going off of that though kind of like was there though a specific person or experience that you would credit with like helping you decide though that acting is what you wanted to do for a living yeah, it was kind of a it was a process because I don't actually come from a family who like I always am when I think about it, it's kind of interesting to me that I even got started in acting because I don't like no one in my family does it. And uh, so I started I just did plays um, in high school and then I got done and I was like, I don't really know what I want to do um with my life so i so i went to school and i kind of did a little bit of some exploratory stuff like i studied i did music in in high school as well but i did again i didn't really know like if i could really make a career of that until it wasn't until i got to college that i i saw that i could sort of turn this into a career and it was just kind of a slow process that i kind of as i learned more and more uh, um it just kind of went from there because like i said I, i had really no exposure to it really with my family or, or anyone. And I just kind of liked, you know, dressing up, playing pretend. And that's kind of all it was until I learned a little bit more. And then it kind of went from there. Cool. Very cool. And so, and people may not know you were in an episode of PD before you were ever on med, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. I played a guy named Kirby Michaels uh, in one of those interrogation room scenes. Uh, that they have there, uh, and that was that was actually really impressive uh, because you know when you're in those you know all the walls kind of come apart so they can move all of the you know the the cameras around and everything, and so the way they were able to transition that so quickly, uh, it was really really impressive. But yeah, I got to be interrogated, uh, and it was uh, yeah, I played a, a less a little bit of a creepster, but I've had a, like a history of playing some creepster guys. Um, in my so uh but yeah a little bit of a creepster but i didn't kill the girl spoiler alert if you haven't seen that episode <laughs> <laughs> good to know so did that help you get the role on madly yeah. were they already familiar with you well you know there's a, a few casting offices here in chicago and um i was kind of on i think the radar of one of a one of the casting agencies here and who's who's doing med and, you know, I kind of um, just kind of kept going in and going in. And I, I, I was seen for a couple of different parts um, yeah, for other stuff. But, um, but you know, I, I don't know, you know, given that it's all shared universe, like, you can't come back and be like if I was one character, this guy who was having an affair and then on med, I had like a heart attack and then on fire like my house burns down. It's like, wow, that guy's really going through something serious there. Um, so 
so I've been kind of going in for some other stuff, and this just kind of happened at the end of a pilot season uh, around March, the audition, and it just kind of um, kind of went from there. Gotcha. So before you were even on PD, though, like yeah. you're based in Chicago, right? You're based yeah. in Chicago. So, like, were mm-hmm. you familiar with the shows in the universe and just kind of, like, in general, like, what do you think of this idea of a shared universe like this? Yeah, I mean, I was familiar with the shows because as a Chicago actor, you're, you know, you're going out for a lot of the parts and stuff here and there. Um, I think the way that they structured it is actually super brilliant because you get the universe. I think it makes a storytelling, like, it can do with the storytelling is uh so much more interesting and and there's such such a it could kind of go anywhere and the way that they you know have done these crossovers where there's these huge epic events um there hasn't when that started there wasn't really anything like that on tv and now you can kind of see where other shows or other networks are kind of mimicking that idea a little bit and i think there's something to that um, and I think it definitely gives the characters a lot of different areas to play in. You know what I mean? And and I think it's fun for the fans because you're like, oh, he's there. Oh, we ride over there. Um, I think uh, I think it's just really smart and super interesting um, the way they've done it. Yeah, for sure. And so your very first episode as Lanik was season three finale. So going into season four, did you know that he was going to stick oh, yeah. around? Yeah. Did you know he was going to stick around or did you think it was just kind of a short st- stint? I, yeah, I heard whisperings of that he was going to stick around for a little while. But, you know, the the interesting thing about making this, this show is, like, you know, things change so up until, you know, you're editing and shooting. And, like, it's such a fluid, evolved kind of process to make a, an episode. So you really, I really didn't know. And then it wasn't until I came back for the fourth season that they were like, okay, we're going to keep you around for a little while doing other stuff. Um, and so then I was like, okay, I can settle into, you know, what this is going to be. And, um, cause it was kind of a slow introduction. And then I think the second episode is when I, I, I second or second episode I shot of fourth season, I actually got to do like a surgery for the first time. And that was like, I was like, oh wow, I'm in this, I'm doing this. It was, cause it was really fun, but it was like scary because <laughs> there's like real, real instruments, you know, the prosthetics are amazing and, and um, you're just not to screw it up when you have like all of these people around you and you're trying to like, you know, cut this fake arm open and kind of go from there. Yeah. Have you ever played a doctor before? I'm just thinking, have you ever played a doctor before? Uh, no, no, never. Um, I have, uh, my sister is actually a nurse and her husband is actually doing his, um, residency for general surgery. Okay. Uh, up in Wisconsin, so I've so I've actually picked his brain a little bit about you know what it was like to learn from other surgeons and mm-hmm. uh, um, and just kind of the dynamic there and just some of the crazy stuff he he's seen. So like I picked his brain about the some of that emotional side of things, and then you know we've got a great kind of great medical consultants that kind of help with that. But but, um, but I've kind of got a couple of medical people in my family, so it was kind of easy to bounce some bounce some ideas off of them. Yeah. So when you first came in as Lanik, Lanik was pretty hated in the beginning amongst the fandom just because, like, he was especially brought in by Gwen and, like, nobody likes her. So, therefore, we don't like Lanik. But I'm curious, (laughs) like, as an actor, though, like, what is it like trying to establish yourself in this already established universe when your character is hated right from the get-go? 
Is it change anything um, about it or like nothing? Not really at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because uh, like people would message me when I first started on Instagram and they would say all this nasty, mean stuff to me uh, about me and my character and how they'd want to punch me in the face. And if they ever saw me, they would like tell me off. And I and I was like, oh, maybe I should take that as a compliment because I feel like I'm actually doing a good job. Uh, um, but uh, I don't mean or, or what, but um, but I think establishing, you know, I think you just kind of have to go there um, and, and not really think of it as like, um, you know, he can be kind of, I mean, pretty abrasive. Right. And I think it, you just kind of have to understand what the function is of the, your role in that, in the story. And I think it doesn't really work. Like, like I, I, I think it's good that people in the beginning started to, you know, dislike Lanik and cause he was kind of there to, you know, steer things in a different direction and you know when i first started obviously that was working a lot line there um and i think you really just have to just like no fear you know and i think now the tricky thing is oh can i curse um, yes i can yes <laughs> you've heard the podcast yes. okay. you've yes. listened to us um, <laughs> yeah um because you, you just the tricky thing is like he's just a straight up asshole sometimes, but he also has to be really good at his job. And like to try and do that as an actor who's like not normally an asshole to someone, but also like has very little to no knowledge about any medical um, uh, some of the medical practice that we do. Like it's just um, it's a little bit of a challenge, but I think. You know, and working with some of the actors, you just kind of have to go there. And you kind of like, and they kind of eased me into it, I think. It didn't come out that way. It kind of, um, uh, in the story, it kind of went slowly. And I, that was really helpful. So early on, I mean, Lanik and Connor had sort of a rivalry of bits. They kind of butted heads. And so uh, what do you miss about working so closely with Colin? Oh, I think it was just that that kind of back and forth. Because I think, I think the thing that, was really i think there was a mutual respect there but i think like with the between the characters and obviously i mean colin was awesome to work with like i he was he helped me i learned a ton from him about just doing all the medical stuff being on set how to be a professional like he's a he's a solid solid dude um but i think it's just that you know kind of the difference there of like he would make like a super bold bold choice and that would be kind of like the almost the detriment of his character. But then on my side, it, I, I'm so practical and so conservative and that's almost to a detriment of my side. So I think that kind of back and forth is something that I miss, but also though, Lana kind of, he kind of gets involved in everybody's like, I feel like he doesn't really like anybody at the, like he works with like going on, but he's like, I just can't like, I'm just going to be in everybody's business. And so, uh, but this season he's kind of lightened up a little bit. So it's kind of, um, you know, he's a little bit more comfortable. But I think that constant back and forth and the butting of heads is always, I think, um, fun to do as an actor. And, uh, you know, finding the nuance of that is always is always fun. Um, yeah. Um, coming from the theater world, I mean, you were you were with Colin and you were with Heather Headley, too. What was that like on set? Was it like Broadway sing alongs all day? I've always been like secretly curious about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
not all day, but every once in a while, Heather Headley would just like break out into this. It would sound just like this little ditty, and it would it would be like the most amazing thing. And she just it felt very effortless. Um, and it was just like she's um I mean she's awesome to work with. She's so nice. She's um I got to uh, see her. She did a benefit at a um at Chicago Shakespeare Theater this uh, a couple years ago, and I got to see her do that. And she's just so great at performing and so humble and so nice. And so everyone once in a while she just bustle Diddy. You're just like, oh, that was amazing. Uh, it's actually a super musical cast, though. I mean, with between like, I mean, Nick is really good at guitar. I mean, Tori plays the violin. There's some other talents here and there. It's, it's really, you know, maybe you, one day you'll get the Chicago Med musical kind of coming through. <laughs> Who do, who do we talk to about that? <laughs> yeah, I wonder who. That's funny. Yeah, I'll, I'll put in a good word. I don't know if they're going to listen to me, but I'll say, you know, the ladies over at Meets at Molly's would love a musical episode. You yes. know, we They've just sing all, sing all the medical. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> totally. So we don't always get to spend like a ton of time with Lanik, but I'm curious, do you have your own secret backstory for Lanik to help you get into character? Um, yeah, I mean, nothing that anyone has ever told me specifically, but stuff that I, that I kind of gravitate, you know, one, he has to report to Gwen, right? So she's obviously a very stern, strong presence, right? And so I think that I can there. He's also a younger chief, right? So I think that kind of dynamic is really interesting because um, it's kind of this thing of like, you know, when you go see a doctor for something you're really concerned about, you know, would you rather see a doctor who is a little older or a little younger? Right. And I think we kind of have this idea that this older doctor has so much more experience. And I think you're kind of fighting against that maybe in the medical field a little bit. Like you have someone who looks like a younger doctor and you're like, oh, my gosh, no, you look like a kid. Give me someone who is like a little bit older. Right. Get yeah. your dad in here to come and help me. Um so there's that. And then I think, you know, he's also, it's a teaching hospital and he's also spending a lot of his time with medical students who, you know, by his thought, don't really know. Him. So I think between those things, like, I think he, um, struggling to balance all that. And I think, you know, he's at a point kind of in his career where he has learned to compartmentalize. I think some of the Obviously, stuff gets to him every once in a while, but where he's really learned to push that down. And I'm really, you know, I, I've kind of made up something in my mind about having some kind of emotional attachment to, like, you know, whether it comes to a personal relationship with a grandmother or uh, um, some close family member where he saw someone going through something. And I think he just kind of had to learn to attack some of our, our doctors that they set us up with like you know people, they carry a lot of this home with them and it's um and it's uh it's not easy to shake off but there's people who do it and it's you know they um it's really commendable and it, i just you know but to have someone who is just so hard all the time um you know it, it's there's got to be something there that really you know at one point triggered you to to force yourself to kind of um block off any of that emotion you know what i mean yeah so got a couple of things that i work with yeah yeah so and i mean what we know that you know you're you're in next week's episode um not sure if you're in the crossover we haven't we'll cross that yet but um what's coming up next for lanik um 
Well, you know, Lanik is going to Lanik, I think, in the next uh, episode. Uh, always, I think there's a couple of uh, butting head moments with a couple of uh, doctors. And I think that's kind of his uh, his thing there. And I think it's always interesting to me, like, where Lanik sort of, like, obviously, I think there's a respect for the people that he works with. But it's kind of, it, I'm interested in seeing, and I think we get a little bit of this, where some of those relationships get a little bit more personal and where the walls kind of break down. I think that's all I'll really say about that. If that's okay. Really? Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So as we've talked about, you've done a ton of theater before and I'm curious, like, do you have a preference for either television or theater? And like, do you have a favorite production that you've ever been a part of? Well, you know, I'm so thankful for this show because I've learned so much about what goes into making a TV show. And, you know, it's it's a lot of people. You think you're just working with, you know, your cast, but, you know, the, the camera operators, um, the boom operators all become a part of your, your scene. And it's really learning to work with that is a really... I think theater is a little bit more exciting immediately because you're, you know, you're in front of a live audience and you're, you're directly kind of talking to someone and it kind of like, you got to carry a lot more. The endurance is a lot more over, um, you know, a couple hours where, you know, television, the great thing is like, you guys don't get to see all the really crappy. Can't say all my lines because the medical stuff could be tricky. So, um, so I think going back and getting to have a do-over is really, really interesting. And, and, and the, but the ultimately the thing I, you know, I, I like about, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's kind of, you really, really, really get to collaborate sort of in, in the moment and kind of go from there where theater, you kind of get all that stuff in the beginning. Um, and I don't really know if I have a preference. I'm still about television, uh, but I, I, I did a play last year, um, Teatro Vista, and it was the first play I did since I came back from doing a lot of TV. And I was—I thought I was having a breakdown. I couldn't remember all of these, these lines. Like my character had this like two-page monologue, and I was like, I don't know if I can remember because you know, reading something on TV, you get like two pages, right? And you're working on that. And then the next day you make it another two pages. And those, that's way easier to keep in your brain. And so every night before I go and I'll be like, I think I can do this. I don't know if I can, but I think I can do this. <laughs> it's just like, just calm down, breathe. You can do it. Um, and in terms of favorite productions that I've had here in the city, um, oh man, I, um, it's kind of hard to choose one. I got to do this play called Ironbound. Um, and it was it was a uh, um, uh, the playwright's uh, Martina uh, Mayok, and she uh, she's a New York based playwright. She went on to win a Pulitzer for a different, but it was just um, the writing was really really. She writes really really well, and the characters are so specific. Um, and I got to do that at Steppenwolf. They had this like workshop production of it, and I think that was just. Among many others, but that one comes to mind because I just love that play and I love her writing. And uh, it was a story about a uh, a Polish woman, an immigrant coming over to the United States, and kind of her journey. And I got to play a small part in that. And it was, it was. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. 
Cool. cool. Yeah. And so uh, we always remind our listeners that we watch other things aside from One Chicago because, you know, we, we just have to, like, clarify that. So it's <laughs> such a good time for television right now. I know. We get that a lot. People are like, what? Do you watch other stuff? We do. We do. So yeah. <laughs> in this golden age of television that we're in right now, one of our favorite questions, what are you watching? Oh, well, um, I am currently watching the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, I really like the awkward, cringy humor. Um, I finished watching the the Man- the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. which is really great. Um, I really like TV show Barry. I've heard that's good. Um, and then I always, yeah, it's really really fun. Um, and then I kind of always am cycling back to rewatching The Office. Like it's kind of in like when I have nothing else to watch, I just I probably watch through it like four or five times. Um, but uh, either that or Parks and Rec, I think, are probably the two that kind of cycle back and forth. Like they're just goodies, standbys. Yeah, you know? yeah. Parks and Rec is always a solid option. Oh yeah. Yeah. So good stuff. Well, but there's so much. But there's so much television. It's, it's so insane. much. Like it's there's it's there's so much streaming, and that's great for for actors. But it's like sometimes you're like, wow, I don't even know where to start. It's just it's a little overwhelming. Yeah, big time, yeah. big time. So, um, yeah, and so, um, Bryna, do you have any other questions? No, I think that's it, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. I was actually a really surprised, like you said, because Lanik is kind of hated. So I really appreciate uh, you letting me come on here and talk <laughs> about the show. And um, thank you for for doing this, though, because it's really great. Like, like it's I like interacting with people um, uh, about the show, and I really I feel like this fan base, like the one Chicago franchise, uh, solid um, eager fans to like hear about and learn about the show. And so I really I really appreciate you guys doing what you do and having me on. Of course. Where can we find you on social media, by the way? Okay. So my, uh, social media is, uh, quarter, like, like quarter, like a 25 cent quarter underscore, underscore Rican. So that, yeah, my grandpa's from Puerto Rico. So I'm a quarter Rican. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So if you're not following Nate listeners, go do it. Cause <laughs> We said so. So, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you All so right, much for joining you. us, Nate. Stay warm. Have a good night. We will see you on episode 14 next week. All right. Once again, big thank you to Nate Santana for joining us. We had so much fun with him and he was such a pleasure to talk to. Nate, you're out there somewhere. You're welcome back anytime. Just anytime. Please anytime. come back soon. Please do. You know, we haven't scared anybody off yet. So hopefully you're not the first. <laughs> so... As always, Shyhards, you know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. It's Meet Us at Molly's right across the board. Email us anytime about anything at meetusatmollys at gmail.com. If you like the show, which we really hope you do because you've made it all the way to the end of this episode, good job. Please, 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 if you don't mind, we would love it if you would take a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really does help other people find the show, which, you know, the more people in this family, the merrier. So, you know, let's keep growing it. So... Um, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Bryna? I am at Bryna K13. So normal schedule going forward. If anything crazy happens, we will let you know. But otherwise, we will see you next week. Bye.